It was literally the worst game I think I've ever seen, but we won, and it's that winning feeling which you can't beat. As the baby of the group, Sim, you sadly, or more likely luckily, will be unable to answer this first question regarding Tottenham's 1998-99 season. So, Matthew Bowers and Peter Wright, this one's for you. From the two relatively unpopular managers we had this campaign, pick your favourite. Swiss League marvel Christian Gross or League Cup winning yet Arsenal stained Spurs boss George Graham. Peter, out of the two, who is your favourite? Well, it's like the lesser of two evils here. <laughs> you didn't want me to pick a favourite from those two. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. you're going to have to be begrudgingly the man in the raincoat as he actually won us the trophy. That's uh, a massive call. Uh, massive sadly, call. sadly, Gross had famously held on to his return underground tube ticket back to Heathrow. People didn't figure he was going to be there very long. If I'm forced to make a choice, then that's it. Jesus. Yeah. That's a massive call. Matthew, who was yours out of the two? Do you know what? I agree with Pete. At the end of the day, Christian Gross, I mean, he was only with us for nine months, wasn't he? Yes. I think when he arrived, there was real hope because no one had really heard of him. And you always hope, imagine we've just found like an Arsene Wenger type character who's going to change the way we play, make exciting football. And we soon realised after pretty two or three months, this wasn't going to happen. So, so I'd have to agree with Peter. Say George Graham, as painful as it is to this, was the preferred manager during this horrific period of football. Okay, we'll come on to George Graham a bit later. As you would already gauge, this is why he won daily assessment of the 1998-99 season, which, despite another mid-table Premiership finish, is actually a more positive season to review on the whole, as the podcast seizes the opportunity to remember a second trophy win of this series. Great to have all you listeners along again. Hope you enjoy the show. It's not often that we can bask in the glory of silverware and we won't be able to again on the pod until 1990-91 FA Cup success. In which case, let's begin this edition by focusing on what was, in fact, a fantastic run in the competition as we capped off wins against some strong top-flight outfits with victory in the final against Martin O'Neill's Leicester City, who themselves had a great League Cup pedigree at the time, reaching three finals in four years. So, Peter, what are your memories of that 1999 Worthington Cup campaign? Yeah, I mean, I remember the final because of the fracker between um, Savage and Justin Edinburgh ended up with Justin Edinburgh being sent off. And um, yeah. did Muzzy, is it, miss a really, miss a sitter or something? I seem to remember. Um, Sim was still celebrating his um, first birthday at the time, so um, he was more interested in the cardboard packaging of his presents rather than the actual presents inside. And then I remember a great assist from Everson, was it, for Nielsen to score the goal. Those are the yeah. things I remember from the final, and just like the thrill of actually winning a trophy. It was the first one since 91, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a pretty dull game, do you remember, Matt? It's a bad-tempered, yeah. Bad -tempered. Oh, it bad it was, a, it was an awful game. I mean, I, I remember me, me and my other Spurs fan friend, we um, went to Croydon. We had a big fry-up and then we went to the pub about three hours before kickoff. So I remember bits of the game and then, I, to be honest, I was so hammered. When we scored, I think it was in the last minute or near, it was. Enough, near enough, 
Me and my friend went absolutely mental. <laughs> and it was literally the worst game I think I've ever seen. But we won. And it's that winning feeling which you can't beat. That euphoric moment when you've actually won something. Yeah. Sim, could you could you take us through um, our League Cup run, please? As we discussed the other day, the League Cup, the first round or the, the second round of the League Cup used to be two-legged, which I find a bit strange, but there you go. That's the way it used to be. So we beat Brentford's... In both legs, we beat them 3-2 in both legs, went through, went on to play Northampton and Liverpool in the next two rounds. Won both those games 3-1 as well. That's a, that's a brilliant 3-1 win at Anfield, actually. I don't know what kind of team they put out, but, you know, that's, Anfield's not a place that we win very often, is it? So that's a good result there. And then we hammered Man United, uh, another 3-1 scoreline, actually, in the quarterfinal at home. And David Gillen you know, scored, scored a fantastic goal in that game, yeah. Can you guys remember that goal? I do remember. I remember in the whole game, he was just unplayable. He played, as Peter said, he played on the on the left hand side and, and cut in and smash one in. But yeah, he was unplayable that night. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, do you know, we we seem to have a decent record against United. Just looking back in in these in these years, we beat him a few times in the league, didn't we? And then obviously beat him in the cup here as well. So yeah. and it's, it's funny because we never we suddenly went like about a decade without beating them again after that. Yeah, we did, yeah. and then we had Wimbledon in the semis. We did, yeah. We had we drew nil nil in the first leg at home, and then I was actually watching the second leg back yesterday, and Everson scored a beautiful lob over Sullivan. The, the the ball bounced maybe just inside the area, just off the ground, and he's like lifted it really nicely, delicately over Neil Sullivan for Wimbledon. The game was at Selhurst, but he was like miles offside. I was at that semi final. You were, yeah. As actually, famously, my mate was chucked out of Selhurst. Uh, who, who was it? Uh, Nick, yeah. Oh, really? Nick, he was swigging on a, on a hip flask. Because <laughs> he, he had this he had this sort of super... <laughs> every time we scored, he had to take a little slug from this hip, club, hip flask, which had some Jack Daniels in it or something. And, uh, anyway, we <laughs> chucked out. Of, uh, but, but, but as you know, as the game was sort of reaching a climax, they opened the back sort of gate. <laughs> he snapped back in again <laughs> to watch the final stages. Yeah. That was probably the most exciting that. part of the season, I <laughs> yeah, think. yeah. <laughs> um, but then we then we had them. Obviously, we got through to the final after that in Graham's first season. The adage of you know we want to win in style is this true? Because we didn't win in style. I mean, Peter, how did you, how did you sort of feel? Were you just happy to win a trophy? Yeah, I mean, for me, like getting over the line is just like for me the, the, the euphoria. Like I think, as Matt says, you know, terrible game, but just actually the lift that you get from winning a trophy. I think you. you you take that all day long, and I would definitely take that now. But Matt, did you feel after winning this? I mean, for me personally, I never felt like this was a platform for us to move forward. Matt, how did you feel? I agree totally. It was one of those. You soon realise in football that this is not going to become a regular occurrence. Winning a trophy, it's just the nature of being a Tottenham fan. So when you do win something, you just it actually means more sometimes, in some weird way. Because how many how many trophies have we actually won in the last thirty years? Three. <laughs> Three. So, when we win something, it's a real occasion. It doesn't matter how we or what we win. Just, I just want to win more. You know, that feeling was so good. Walking, stumbling out of that pub in Croydon at sort of 8pm on that Sunday, having to get home, and thinking, it doesn't matter because we've won something. So, yeah. it's, uh, it's such a lovely feeling. What time um, did you have the fire up? Uh, the fry up was, I think it was about 11 o'clock. Oh, in the early, early doors. Yeah, okay. Early yeah. doors, yeah. And then, then we, we got right on it. Brilliant. 
great days. But guys, can I ask Peter actually? Um, would you would you take now us finishing eleventh in the Premier League, FA Cup semi final, and winning the EFL Cup? I think I would, given like what what we've witnessed, what we've been served up in the last six months. I'd say yeah, I'd take a trophy all day long. Because for me, I, I say like the winning mentality gives a platform to go on and win other things. I know it didn't in the case of '99, but I, I think winning has to be incorporated into. It needs to be wired into the DNA so the players get hungry for more success. Like the way Fergie is, like forget about that trophy, let's go again and win another one. You know, and that's that's uh, winning is a habit and um, a habit that we've seem to have lost. Sim, can I ask, as you're the, the youngster of the group who sort of haven't really had this, you know, you, you've lived the champagne lifestyle with Spurs in the Champions League, would you take finishing 11th FA Cup semi-final winning the FL Cup now? That's actually an easy question. It's, it's easier than you think. And the reason for that is because I thought that is where this season, before we shut down with the unfortunate state of the world right now, before it shut down and before we actually went out of the FA Cup and the Champions League, I never thought we were going to win the Champions League. But I actually remember thinking when we had Norwich in that FA Cup game that we actually went on to lose. I remember thinking, you know what, that's probably the best case scenario of this season because we've gone absolutely nowhere in the league. And I thought, you know what, if we just win the FA Cup this year and just have the season in the Premier League that we're having now and finishing what is effectively just a meaningless position, that was actually what I wanted the season to become this year. But obviously that didn't happen because we got put up on Norwich. You'd still be in the Europa League though, I remember. Mm. That's, the, that's the downside. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that is a downside. So we started the season badly. Sim, if you can just take us through up to when Rose got sacked. Yeah, so we lost the first two games pretty handsomely, and I, I can't really imagine how <laughs> how how the fans were feeling at that point. We lost to Wimbledon three one away, and then we got beat three 0 at home by Sheffield Wednesday, which is you know that's just. A atrocious start yeah. to the season. Gross did actually win his last game in charge against Everton, one 0 but he was gone during what would have been the international break. Dead man walking. Yeah. yeah. How, how did you guys feel walking. when we lost those first two games so convincingly? Yeah, apparently there was a lot of unrest in the dressing room. Apparently, according to John Scales, they didn't like his methods. And then, obviously, David Pleat took over as caretaker with Chris Hewton for three weeks. I mean, how much? Influence. Uh, Pleat was director of football at the time. Matt, how much influence did you think Pleat had on the running of the club and hiring and firing? I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> answer. I mean, he, was he? He was caretaker, wasn't he? For was he? He was for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, how much responsibility does a caretaker manager ever have? So it would have been, neg- you know, very very small. I think. I think you're right, but I mean, it's interesting, Peter. Do you think sort of you know sugar? They've done done all the hiring and firing, or do you think Pleat sort of said, you know, because obviously we we then uh, appointed George Graham to take over as manager. Peter, do you think you know, Pleat was massively on board with that, or do you think it's no. totally sugar? I think Pleat's shadow looms large over that club during that period. I think he was even sort of possibly meddling around in the background when Glenn Hoddle was there as well. Because I mean, I think did he step in on two or three occasions when the manager was sacked? So I think, yeah, yeah, I don't know how much he might have undermined things. I think his influence might be a lot more than you think. I don't think think it it was was, just sugar, no. It was said that George Graham and David Pleat clashed. They had sort of a bit of a power struggle. I mean, does that surprise anyone? Yeah, two two different philosophies of playing the game as well, totally. You know, when you think of the David Pleat team of the late 80s compared to 
George Graham is two different a, a clash of philosophies I think there Matt, do you remember like, his style in a very defensive football style? But I, I don't know about you, Matt. I always felt that football was changing at that time and his methods were outdated. Matt, yeah. do you sort of feel the same? Absolutely agree, yeah. It was just, you could just tell that there was no, there was no, the, the players almost sensed it as well, that everything everything seemed like, like a temporary thing, didn't it? It was like a, we were just playing so appallingly. Also, Peter, I don't know if you knew, you knew this, um, that he, was, he wasn't very well, actually, George Graham, when he took over. He had like really bad arthritis, so he didn't spend as much time on the training pitch. Were you aware of that, Peter? I think there was something in the newspapers about that. Was that some kind of a rheumatoid thing? That he had yeah, it was, yeah. It affected his mobility. I do think I do remember reading that, actually, yeah. It might be the reason why he wore that massive great raincoat, Peter, do you think? Yeah, but I mean, his reputation, his uh, nickname as a player was Stroller. You know, so it can't have been yeah. due to over endeavours on the pitch. I do remember going to a few games that season, and there was a chant. They would never chant his name, and they used to sing "Geezer in the raincoats, blue and white army." Geezer yeah. in the raincoats, blue and white army. Matt, as well, like the the period of George Graham being involved in the club. I think it's been sort of airbrushed from history by the fans because I don't sort of ever remember talking about him. No, and he was always on a on a sort of losing wicket, as it were, because he was never going to be accepted. Fully, was he? It was almost like Arsenal were taunting us. You can have our, our sort of one of our old managers. He'll win you something. Yeah. Leave you and he won't win anything else for ages. But he didn't care about being unpopular, did he? Because I remember no. when, when he was at Arsenal, he was really, you know, in a boring style. And a journalist once asked, questioned his boring tactics. And he answered, yes, winning is boring, isn't it? Mm. I mean, Peter, does that sum it up? Yeah. I mean, it's just like a, a very pragmatic style of uh, play. Which is in contrast to his best mate, actually, in, in, Terry Venables was actually probably his best mate in football, I think. Totally mm. different kind of philosophies about the way the game should be played. If we can sort of move on to the Premier League season that season, so obviously we started badly. Sim, can you sort of tell us about the transfers in we, we got that season? The investment, once again, was not anything particularly uh, significant. We spent about £9.4 million on... So Paolo Tramazzani, Tram- 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 who, uh, who was a centre-half that is, I believe he's, he's infamous among Spurs fans. He only really played under Christian Gross. He was a Christian Gross signing at the back. And, Vega? Vega? Uh, Ramon Vega was, was in the side, but he was he was signed a bit before. Tariko came in from Ipswich. Stefan Freund, very popular figure at Spurs. I, in, in my memory, I, I remember him on the coaching staff, but I've, I've seen a lot of him as a player as well in, in videos and stuff and he's just seems to be all heart and he was a Champions League and Euro 96 winner so yeah. you know that's, that's decent pedigree coming into the side but not kind of at the peak of his career and not for a lot of money either apparently he loves me though Stefan Fry yeah yeah, yeah. apparently we love him as well oh, I love him. <laughs> um, and Sherwood came in as well didn't he Sim? he did yeah he was £4 million so he was the big signing of the summer again good pedigree but was he over the other side of his career probably and Matt's friend William Corston came in uh, for 1.5 million. I just want to ask the question, uh, Matt. These, these a lot of these were Christian Gross signings. Do you think Sugar didn't trust Gross, so he only let him spend nine million? I mean, that's pretty much a bad business strategy. So if, if he's a dead man walking, let him spend your money, Matt. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was a total unknown, so you probably wouldn't trust him with a lot of money, would you? No. And, and no. I don't know how much money we Spurs had then. Anyway, were we a wealthy club? Under sugar? I mean, by rights, we should be. I mean, there's so much potential there, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in, in that season, we spent 9.4 million, as Sims says, but Arsenal spent 14 million. 
Mm. Everton 27, wow. Blackburn 50, Villa 38, Newcastle yeah. 37, United 40, Wimbledon spent 15 million wow. and spent wow. us. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Don't yeah, even exist exactly. anymore. They didn't even have a stadium. <laughs> no. That's a great point. Yeah. Asset, poor, cash rich, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Sim, can I ask you the question? Do you think like the non-investment of these turgid years is still impacting us as a club now, Sim? I mean, okay, where, where could we be now? I suppose this this is when the selling or feeder club precedent was set, wasn't it? So... Uh, I think it's difficult to say whether it still affects us now because the game obviously moves in the five or ten year cycles and we've obviously had a change of ownership since this. But I say certainly, yeah, the blueprint of you talk about selling Sheringham to United, Campbell running down his contract, Carrick, Berbatov, Keane, Modric, Bale and Walker in like the 20 years on, all stepping up to what you would probably call better backed clubs has definitely stuck as a result of us shopping levels below the elite, which did start at this time, yeah. yeah so even, I, I suppose yeah. in some ways you could say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even Peter Kratz went to Dulwich Hamlet in search of medals. <laughs> <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> you're, you're so right. Um, the guys the guys who went out that season was Nicola Berti, who I love purely because I love the song about him, <laughs> David Howes, Dean Austin and Colin Calderwood. So we, we, sort of, we still had Walker in goal that season and we had Carr, Campbell... And Ramon Vega played a lot, a lot of games. Um, Matt, as a, as a centre-back, what was your sort of thoughts on Ramon Vega? Um, slow, big. Um. <laughs> a bit like some of your ex-girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, he was, he, was, he, was sort of, he was quite imposing. I think he scored quite a few goals, didn't he? He did, he did yeah. yeah. He was decent from the set pieces. Yeah, so, so I, I quite liked him as a player, I guess. You know, he, he tried hard. I think him and Campbell worked quite well together, didn't they? So yeah, he was he was, he was an okay, okay player, I guess. I think what is interesting is we pretty much had the same team two seasons running. You know, Anderson, Nielsen, and Freund, and Janola in midfield, and Everson and Armstrong up front. You know, yeah. we're not reinventing ourselves, are we? What I mean, the the strat there was just not a strategy, was there, Peter? Uh, no, I, I think uh, just really cobbled uh, together. Really, I mean, looking a lot to Ginola really just to kind of deliver the magic really but I don't know what what you'd say our philosophy was at that time yeah I totally agree Sim can you give us some stats of the Premier League season because it's pretty poor reading isn't it yeah so we finished 11th in the Premier League which is mm-hmm. a place <laughs> so we actually did improve this the season that we were moaning about yesterday uh, we had, our league position that year did actually improve but obviously we won a trophy this year so overall slightly better year this year as you said, a combination of Pleat and Hewton took over matches four, five and six, which was a pattern of win, loss and draw. But I think what's really stood out to me, looking at when George Graham came in, he came in for the seventh game. His first game was a 3-3 draw at home to Leeds. But this is going to sound like a song. But, Alan's, but uh, <laughs> George Graham's record was win, draw, loss, win, draw, loss, draw, win, loss. Win, draw, loss, which is four wins, four draws, and four defeats in his first twelve wow. games. So that's it. Just goes to we, we were just the epitome of average, weren't we? Yeah, we really were. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I remember, didn't we? I think that was a record of draws that season. I think we drew fourteen games. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. I mean, we, that sort of says to me, Peter, that we were difficult to beat, but we didn't have any flair to break teams down. Would that be about right for this season? I mean, we, like I said, I keep harking back to Ginola. He was a clever and gifted player to get consistency out of that you have to 
build your team around that and Graham was spent most of his time suppressing that talent. No consistency in the team, really, I didn't think at that time. Yeah, I totally agree. And Sim, can you sort of tell us about what happened in January in the Premier League, January and February, which is pretty much unprecedented? <laughs> we drew six games in a row <laughs> from the 9th of January to the 27th of February. Like you yeah. said, that, that, that obviously contributed to the... If, it, if it's not a record, it must be near record amount of draws in a season... 14 overall, yeah. but yeah, drew six games in a row in, um, in them, January, February. Four of them were nil-nil as well, and I think that said everything about the George oh. Graham era, didn't it, Matt? That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> what a horrible season. <laughs> I mean, to draw six games is bad enough, but to draw four of them nil-nil. I mean, I went to the Wimbledon game at home on the 16th of January, and we drew nil-nil, and I just remember, I actually felt numb, and I, I felt so disappointed, having sort of grown up in the 80s, and... You know, the, uh, just seeing we had wonderful players. I just felt the life had been sucked out of the club by George Graham. Two goals really... in that in that time as well, in that six draws. Two goals in six games. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, it says everything, doesn't it? Peter, any standout games in that season for you? We'll come on to the last game in a minute, but any standout games? Nothing's really jumping out at me, actually. I don't think there are any standout games in this, in this no. year. Dark days, I think the word is, isn't it? But, Peter, can I sort of just go to you on... The final game of the season. So Manchester United won the league, but going into the last game of the season, Arsenal and Manchester United were going for the title. And if we'd have beaten Man United, Arsenal would have won the league. For me, the first time I wanted Spurs ever to lose in my life. Mixed kind of emotions, really. I mean, I, I never go out wanting us to lose, but it was like, if we lose, then it means that Arsenal don't win the league. So yeah, I just totally, total mixed emotions, really. Yeah, we took the lead, though, didn't we? Yeah, typical in Spurs fashion. You know, we want us to lose, and we went one 0 up. It's incredible, <laughs> well, isn't it? That's very Spursy. That's very Spursy. Yeah. Yeah. That season was really, really dark in the league. You know, as I said we finished eleventh. If you can sort of talk to us about the FA Cup run and see if you can take us through. Yeah, so I think the FA Cup run will be best remembered for the Ginola goal against Barnsley in the quarterfinal. A tight, tight one 0 win in that game, and and yeah, but um, I think if we're just going to start from back to front, so obviously the quarterfinal led into the semi-final against Newcastle, which were beaten two 0 at Old Trafford. Alan Sugar, not Alan Sugar, Alan Shearer, Alan Shearer got two. <laughs> it's quite close. Alan Shearer, Alan Shearer got two goals in extra time. But we talked about in the last podcast the Kaiserslautern game and was, was it Janola got left on the bench was it in the in the second yeah. leg? Yeah, Janola got taken off in the seventy fifth minute, which really kind of baffled people in this game, and uh, it obviously meant we didn't have him for extra time. Where depending on whatever condition he was in, I don't know if he was tired or whatever, but you know you want someone like him to be running a, a tired defence, and that was just Graham missing a trick there and making a mistake really. Matt, does that sum George Graham up for you? Yes, absolutely, 100%. We actually played quite well in the actual 90 minutes because it went to extra time and we were really unlucky. I don't know if you remember, we had like a stonewall penalty for handball which wasn't given in normal time, Peter. Do you yeah. remember that? I can't actually remember that, but I think it was all part of, this is the beginnings of our semi-final disease, which had started with that Everton defeat in 95. But we were unlucky because we played quite well and then the annoying thing is we go to extra time and then they get a penalty, um, a Campbell handball, is it? You know, there's many like ifs and buts, aren't there? We just seem to be unlucky in these sort of, in the big games. We talk about this a lot, don't we, Peter? We just seem yeah. to can't get over the line, can we? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit of bravery, uh, fortune favouring the brave sometimes. George Graham, by nature, is a very cautious guy, rather hang on to what he's got, rather than kind of push the boat out. Can I ask you a question, though, Peter? Can, can we not get across the line because we don't invest in players who can get us across the line? I mean, one sort of like it's a vicious circle, because you don't win things, you don't have that winning mentality, and it's a case of like, you think those the Liverpool team of the 80s and the Man United team of the 90s and the noughties, they just knew how to get over the line. And then that's mm. something that's learned. If, if yeah. I were to put any three of you on the spot now, could you tell me, like a not a specific player necessary, but an area of the team that would have just, if we just signed a marquee player for about 8 million would have done it at this time, what position would you have put that player in? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, my, why would it be mid-centre midfield? A Graham yeah, Roberts, a Graham Roberts, a Dave Mackay. <laughs> those kind of guys were in successful winnings. Stevie Perriman, they all won things in a special, and they all, they all, you know, if somebody wasn't really giving it their all, they'd let them know about it. We always had one of those kind of guys in the dressing room. Mm, yeah. that, so Thank your you. earlier question, um, Ian, about getting over the line. Those kind of guys get you over the line. Yeah, I think you're right, Pete. That's a great point. I remember Wimbledon bought John Hartson that season. I mean, imagine if we'd have had John Hartson up front. Oh, he was a beast. He was a yeah. beast. I mean, he wasn't a great. He wasn't a Spurs type player. But imagine if you had him and possibly, you know, a really, really good midfield player. I just think it might have been a little bit different because you know, we had some good players with Campbell, Carr, Anderson, Janola. But imagine if you added, like, say, Hartson or. That's a great question, Sim. Great question. I suppose that's what um, they were angling for with Sherwood, wasn't it? I remember being very disappointed about that FA Cup out of that, and it sort of just summed up the season for me. But then, if you look in hindsight, I want to go around the table again just to get like a one word of it. But I just want to sort of remind you we won a trophy, we got to an FA Cup semi final, and we finished 11th. So, Matt, how would you sum up the season? A little bit of hope. Okay. A little bit of hope. Interesting. Um, Peter, how would you sum up the season? Misplaced hope. (laughs) (laughs) And Sim, how would you sum it up? Better. But not by much. For me, it would be, I don't know, small steps, but I just never felt that we were ever going to kick on. For me at the time, there wasn't a togetherness in the club because George Graham was there. And I thought he had to go for us to sort of get the togetherness back. Ledley made his debut, didn't he, in, in this season? Which is he did. a bit of hope. I I got, who, who was it that said hope? Was it Matt? Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's a bit of hope in it. It's, it's funny, his, his debut was, was a 3-2 defeat at Anfield where he was, we were 2-0 up at half-time. And he came on at half-time We actually lost the game 3-2. I think mean, Tariq oh, got sent off just before half-time. Oh, that's, that's typical Spurs. Typical yeah. Spurs. Thank you, Matthew, for joining us. It's been great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Keep safe in lockdown and keep in touch. Peter and Sim, thanks for your time again. Keep safe and hope you've enjoyed it again. Thanks, guys. George Graham needed to have some stockings and suspenders under that raincoat, I think. A bit like Prince. (laughs) 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 I think we're going down a different route. The first time I saw Prince live, that's what he was wearing under a dirty raincoat. (laughs) That's another story. It might make the scene a bit more interesting. Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, see you all tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys.